Well, good evening, brethren. It's good to see you all. It's good to come and worship our Lord with you and to fellowship together around his word. We ask that he will be among us and bless his precious word to us. Now, please turn to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. We read in Acts about the founding of the church of the Thessalonians. Thought that would be appropriate as we'll be looking at Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. So Second Thessalonians in chapter 2. And we'll be looking at verse 16 and 17. Let's read those together. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Let's pray. We come to you, our Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. We come to you this evening. We look to you for grace and help. We thank you that you have brought us together again to hear from you. We ask, Lord, that you will Bless our time in the word. We give you thanks for every time we can hear the sound of the gospel, the good news brought to our ears. We thank you for the gospel of our salvation. We thank you for the benefits of the gospel that we read off even here. We ask, Lord, that you will come by your Holy Spirit and you would help us to see again in a fresh way. We pray for the illumining work of your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us to see. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take the things of Jesus Christ and make them known to us. Oh God, we, we pray that you would meet with us, that it would not be just us here, but that we would know the living God with us. For then, Lord, we shall, we shall be helped along the way. Please hear us as we ask these things together. In Jesus' name, amen. During during the reign of King Ahab in Israel, that account in 1 Kings chapter 20, we have there this threat by the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad. He threatens uh, Ahab and he tells him, that he's coming to get his silver and his wives and his children. He gives him this, this threat. But then through the counsel of his men, Ahab speaks back to, to Ben-Hadad. And responding to what Ben-Hadad has said in verse 10, Ben-Hadad had told him, I'll come and the dust of Samaria will not be enough for all the people who follow me. He was telling him, Ahab... I'll come and I'll, I'll sweep you away. I'll destroy you. And then King Ahab responds in this uh, proverbial sort of statement. He says to him, Let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. 
Let not he who straps on his armor boast as he who takes it off. You see what he's telling him? Don't, you're, you're just beginning. You're coming to war. But don't boast as if, as if, as if you're finished. Don't speak as one who has come to the end. You don't know how this, how this will go. You've begun, but you don't know whether you'll finish, whether you'll finish well. And that can be true in the Christian life as well. We, we begin in the Christian way, both individually and as a church. And there can be that fear. I have begun, but, but will, I, will I finish the race, the race has begun, but will, it, will, I, will I make it to the end? As a church, we, here we are, but will we, will we make it to the end? Perhaps some of you, when you, when you started out in the Christian life, you, you had that question. I remember I, I had it. And I was, I was in college when the Lord saved me, and I remember some that knew me at the time asking, say, saying, oh, he, he's... It's just a religious face. It will, it will pass away. But then those words in Philippians 1, 6, and I trust they've been an encouragement to many of you as well, where Paul expresses that confidence. I am confident that he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Now to our text here in Thessalonians, we read of the beginning of the church. Paul, writing to the Thessalonians, he can give thanks to God for them, for, for what God has done in their midst. Look at in chapter 1, verse 3. He says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers. There, that he's seeing what God has done in the lives of these saints. And this is, this is true. You can say this about Every church of God that's a biblical church, you can say it about every child of God, every Christian. You can look at them and you can say, I thank God for you, for what God has done in you. That's, that's one thing Paul can say about this church and about believers. But at the same time, in this, in this world where there's still sin, where we haven't yet made it to where will be in glory without sin and suffering and enmity from all sides. In this world, in this life, when that's the case, when we look at both churches and also believers individually, there's also things that we see that cause us to desire that God would do yet more. Yes, we're thankful for what God has done, but we we look back to the same God who has done this, praying that he would do yet more. And Paul does that. He says, I, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. And yet he knows it is not, it is not all well. And it's never fully well with any, any Christian or any, any church. There's yet things that need to be dealt with. And so he turns back to God again. In, in, the, verse, in the verses that we're looking at, it's a prayer. Paul, who can thank God for the Thessalonians and for their faith and for their growth and for their progress, he looks back to the same God who has begun that good work and he's, he's praying that God would, would help and continue. And, and he also, he, he does exhort as well. He does, so there's both the thanksgiving, 
But we see, for example, the verse right before this, he is exhorting them, saying, So then, brothers, stand firm, hold to the traditions that were taught by us, either by a spoken word or by our letter. Verse 15. So he's thanking God, he's exhorting them, but he's also, he's praying. And that's what we have before us. I want us to focus especially on his prayer in verse 16 and 17. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. It's, it's, it's a beautiful passage of God's word. It's so rich, so full of precious truth. And as we look at it, I, I pray and I ask you to be praying that God would do it in your heart, in my heart, in, in, in this church. That God would, this is a prayer. We can, as we look at it, we're addressing our God and asking him to do this. That we would see him perform this good work. Now, to remind you of uh, the context in Thessalonians, right from the beginning in that passage we read in Acts, right from the foundation of this church, we see there this persecution beginning. There's, there's trouble that these, Paul goes there and he testifies about Jesus, saying Jesus is the Christ, and there's some who come and, and they believe by, by God's grace, they're brought to see the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe in him. That's, that's why he can, he can thank God for them. Because that's, that's a supernatural work. When, when anyone's eyes are opened so that they see this Jesus, this, this one of Nazareth, he is a son of God, he is a Christ of God. He is who he says he is. That's, that's by the work of the Holy Spirit. Listen to what he says in verse 13 of this chapter the verses before he says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by God, because God chose you as the firstfruits, or from the beginning, to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel. The gospel that Paul was there, that we read about in Acts 17, that, that he was preaching there about Jesus God called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for you. He opened your eyes to come to believe in Jesus Christ. But then there's this, these, these trials, persecution began. And in the letters as well, we, we see this. For example, in verse 4 of the first chapter, he says, we, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. So this was one of the, one of the trials, one of the winds that was striking against the Thessalonians. So physical trials, persecution in this way. But there's also the problem of false teaching. We see it in chapter 2, for example, false teaching regarding the second coming of Christ. He, he's telling them there in verse 2, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord 
has come. This, some people were going around saying, teaching this lie about the second coming, saying that, that it's already happened, and they were upsetting the faith of many. So that was, that was another trial and problem that they were facing. The other one was just a moral problem related to this doctrinal issue. Later on in chapter 3, in verse 11, he says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness. And so it seems that some Thessalonians had come to conclude that the Lord Jesus is coming so soon, no need to work, let's sit back. So there was this problem as well that Paul addresses. So the trials from a physical side, trials from false teaching, trials in this moral way, all these things, all these winds coming threatening the life of this church and these people. But does Paul, is Paul, does he lose hope? Does he, is he shaken in his confidence about the endurance of these believers, of their making it to the end? We see here he is not. He can thank God for the work that he's doing in them. He can exhort them, but then he also looks to the living God praying. So let's, let's look at his prayer then, and we'll look at it under four headings. We'll see here, a good Lord, this is what you have, believer. This is what you have, church. We'll see that here's a, we have a good Lord and a good Father, a good Savior and a good Father who has done a good work in the past. That uh, will be a second point that we'll see here. And it's to this God, this good Savior, and this good Father who has done such a good work in the past. It's to this God that we look to that he would do a good work in the present, in your hearts. So he prays for helping you to go on doing good works, remaining in good works and in good words as well. So let's, let's see then this, this prayer. We have a good Savior and a good Father. That's, that's who... Paul addresses this prayer. That's, that's who we come to when we pray this prayer. See how he begins. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says, he, that's how he starts. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself. That's, that's where we look. The Lord Jesus himself. That blessed son of God in whom we believe, that one who was with the Father from the beginning in the Father's bosom, in the Father's embrace, him who was God and with God from the beginning, the one, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image, the express image of the Father, the radiance of his glory, the one in whose face we see the glory of God most fully, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, the one having all authority in heaven and on earth. Our Lord, the one who, believers, the one who has bought you with his own blood, the one who has claims upon you, your Lord. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself. In chapter 1, he says some things about our Lord Jesus Christ that help us to see him for who he is. Look at what he says in the verses from 5 there to 12. He speaks there about 
the Christ who is coming with his mighty angels. This glorious one, this one who is coming as the judge of all the earth, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. This one who is coming, he says, to be, to be glorified in the saints, that Jesus Christ will, will be glorified in his saints, that he lives in his saints, and that when he comes, they will come with him, and, and there will be something of Christ radiating from the saints. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself, robed in glorious majesty. He will come to be, he says, to be marveled at by the saints, that we will look at him and our mouths will stop and we will gaze upon him with wonder, love, and praise. He will come to be marveled at among all who have believed our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Jesus, Jesus, that, that name, it's, it's, it's a family name. It's, 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 it's the name given to him by the Father, spoken there to Joseph. It's, yes, it's a divine name, Yahweh saves, but it's also, it's, it's, it's a human name as well. Our Savior, our Jesus, our elder brother, the man for us, our Lord crucified for us, who gave himself for our sins, for your sins, believer, who came, who left glory and was born as a man to live and to suffer and to die for you, who laid his life down for his sheep out of his love, our Lord Jesus himself. Newton is right. How sweet the name of Jesus sounds in a believer's ears. It soothes our sorrows, heals his wounds, and drives away his fears. It makes the wounded spirit whole. It calms the troubled breast. It's manna to the hungry soul, and to the weary it is rest. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself, the one who ascended and is seated at the right hand of the Father, the Christ, the one who is appointed to be our Savior, our prophet, speaking to us, making known to us the will of God and, and God himself and our priest, our king, crowned, reigning, coming, our Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul, when he thinks about the, the progress and the perseverance of these saints, he thinks about our Lord Jesus Christ himself. He looks to him, to this one. What hope, what well-founded hope if, if this is the one we have to help us, to keep us to the end. Our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And God our Father, he says. It's amazing. He puts even the Lord Jesus there before the Father. We know they're co-equal, co-eternal. But what a, what a clear statement here of, of the deity of Christ to be paired in this way. He prays to God our Father. Because Christ, our Lord Jesus, has brought us into this relationship with the Father. His Father has become our Father, believers. We just sung about His love, how deep the Father's love for us. We hear it even in that relational word, Father. We can call him Father, the almighty creator of the world. I believe in God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth. 
Paul is looking to him for the progress and the perseverance of these saints. The one who Christ has revealed to us as our Father, we look to him. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father. This is, this is what makes them believers, that they've come to know God as Father. This is the difference between an unbeliever and a Christian. A Christian can truly, from the heart, say to God, Father, Abba, Father. Because the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God's Son, dwells in you. And you can say to him, Father. So Paul prays, Father, to God our Father. So then, believer, as you think, shall I make it to the end? As we think as a church, how will we progress? Paul is pointing us to our Lord Jesus Christ, to God our Father. He's looking to him in, in prayer. But he tells us some things there about, about our, our Lord and about the Father. What, what has our God done for us? Look at the next phrase. He says, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope. Here, let's look at the good work that God has done in the past. So we've seen our good Lord and our good Father, and then we're looking now at the good work that he has done in the past as an encouragement and, and brought in as, as we pray and look to him for our progress in the faith. Who loved us and gave us. He's, he's looking at a past act. And we might ask, when, when, when was this? What, what time is, is he referring to? What, what is he talking about when he describes our God as this, that he has loved us and given us. It, we could say it's, it's really fully and finally, it's, it's with, with the incarnation, the coming of Christ into this world and his death for sinners and his resurrection. And in the gospel, we see there how God is loving us and giving us such gifts. But it's, it's also in in what God has done in, in preparing and, and setting in place this, this hope before us, this eternal comfort that we'll, that we'll look at next, that all that God has done in preparing that, isn't that one way that our God has loved us and given us? It goes all the way back to the eternal days In verse 13, he speaks there about God's choosing, God's election. It goes way back there. But it also, this, this past act, we can see it also when, as, as when God actually applies his saving work in the life of his children. So as you look back, believer, you can, you can look back to when God made himself known to you, when he saved you. That also is a time that you can look back and see, yes, God by spirit has come and, and done this good work and, and this is expression of his, of his love and his giving of these precious gifts. But he also tells us here about the motivation, the spring of God's past act. It's, it's love. That's what he says. He says, God who loved us, God who loved us, and gave. 
I don't know if you've noticed this as in your reading of Scripture, how often this will be put together, loved and gave, loved and gave. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have the lasting life. Ephesians 5, 2, it speaks there about how Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering to God. It is the same chapter, speaking to husbands, how, how Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Galatians 2, 20, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This, this occurs so often. He loved and gave. And we have it, we have it here. When Paul thinks about our God, he says it's, it's the God who loved us and, and, and gave us. Henry Skugel, the writer from the 1600s, he says this, Love is a most valuable thing we can bestow. And by giving it, we do in effect give all that we have. And isn't that what? Our God and Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have done in, in loving us. It really is it's God giving himself to us and all that he is saying, I am yours and, and you are mine. But in these verses, notice specifically what, what it says he's, he's given. This Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father who loved us and gave us what? He mentions two things. Eternal comfort or everlasting consolation and good hope. What, what, what words, what, what gifts to be given? What, what riches are yours, Christian? What riches are yours, church? Eternal comfort. This, this, this is a rich word, this word comfort. It's sometimes uh, put as consolation, encouragement, exhortation. It's, it's the word that's used about the Holy Spirit in John 14, where the Lord Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter to be with you forever. It's that word sometimes, paraclete, that's the, that's the Greek behind it. It's, it's a comforter. Sometimes it's translated helper. So it's, it, it's a word that has these various shades of meaning. And, and the basic idea that I get from it is it's, it's, it's a picture. There's, there's someone in need, and then there's another one coming, helping and supplying that need, whatever it is. And so, and so depending on, on what, what's, what's being given, it, it takes on these different shades of meaning. And so it includes all the various ways that the God is able to help and, and, and support and encourages people. And it's, it does have this sense also of, of there's, a, there's an inward aspect to it. So encouragement does get, get at the meaning as well. It, when it's in a legal sense, we have it translated sometimes advocate. It's someone who's coming alongside, who's called alongside to, to help in this, in this, in a legal setting. And so, so it's this word with all these shades of, of meaning. I think it's fitting because the comfort, the God's giving, the consolation, encouragement, it's, it has all these aspects to it. 
And, and Paul says, this is what God has done. He has, he has given us eternal comfort. And the knowledge of, of God coming to us in, in our sin and misery and showing us a way out of our sin problem and out of the miseries of this life, giving forgiveness of sin, giving a, a good hope for the future, giving you a, a reason for being, giving you a knowledge of what, what you were made for in, in relationship with God and all that that does for, for the human soul and, and giving strength and encouragement, all of this that the gospel gives us. And it says it's, it's eternal. It's eternal. It's, 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 it's eternal in its duration. It's inexhaustible. It's unceasing. It's everlasting consolation. It's a forever kind of comfort and encouragement. Again, Christ praying, he says, Notice those, he says, I'll give you another comforter to be with you, he says, forever. Spirit given to be with you forever. And so I, in those verses, we can look and see and ask, where is the Holy Spirit? I believe that's one way we can see the Holy Spirit there, though not mentioned. That he is the one that applies these things. He's the one that makes known to us Christ and, and the love of Christ and and the comfort. He is the one who is able to come into your heart and, and to lift you up in a comfort and to give strength inwardly. He is, he is the comforter. Eternal comfort. What a, what a gift. Uh, but then he says another thing, good hope. Good hope. 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 I like uh, William Garnell's, the, the Puritan, his definition of hope. He says, hope is a supernatural grace of God whereby the believer through Christ expects and waits for all those good things of promise which at present he has not received or not fully. A supernatural grace of God whereby you, through Jesus Christ, wait for those things of promise which you don't have yet or you only have in part. So inwardly, that's, that's, that's hope. That's Christian hope. But sometimes uh, Scripture speaks of our hope as the object of our hope, what we're hoping for, not just the inward experience and, and thing of hope we're hoping, but also what we're hoping for is, is called our hope. Uh, we hear Jesus Christ in Timothy, Jesus Christ, our hope. Heaven is our hope. Glory, our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So the things coming also promised as our hope. Why is it called good? It says good hope. It's good hope. It's good because the object, what we're waiting for is, is good. It's to see Jesus. It's to be in glory. It's to be without sin. It's to be in, in a place of joy and without suffering no more, in the full presence of God and with renewed bodies. It's, it's, it's good things that we hope for. It's a good hope. But it's also good because it's well-founded. You can have a hope that's, that, that's, that doesn't have a good foundation, and so it will disappoint you. But it's, 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 a, good, it's a good hope. As we sing sometimes, None shall ever be confounded who on him their hope have built. It's a good hope. The good foundation. The resurrection of Jesus Christ as our hope. As Peter tells us, 
born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, a solid foundation. It's, it's certain, it's good, because it's a certain hope. It's from the God who cannot lie. It's from the God who is all-powerful, who, who cannot be resisted in a way that he won't accomplish his promise and, and give to his people what he has taught them to hope for. It's a good hope because it's certain. It's good in its effect. What does hope do for you, for me, believer? It's, it's good in its effect. It's, it, it gives joy in the present when, when, when you know, when you can see, when, when we're helped by God's grace to see our hope and to see that our future is as bright as the promises of God. What does that do? It, it gives a joy Presently, it lightens our burdens even now. This word comfort, you remember in, in First Thessalonians, Paul, Paul uses it in terms of comforting the, the sorrowing and the grieving believers. He says, comfort one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. You grieve, but not as one who doesn't have Hope, it's a good hope. It's able to lighten even the burden of grief and sorrow and help us to bear it. It's good also because it has this purifying power. We read in Scripture in First John that those who have this hope in them purify themselves. It's, it's good in effect. It gives joy. It lightens our burdens. It purifies. It even energizes for good works as we will See, later, it, it's, it's a hope that, that, that strengthens. It has these good effects. It's a hope beyond, beyond the grave. It's, it's, it's a good hope that, that nothing, not even the, the greatest enemy and obstacle that we as human beings can face in death, even that is not able to destroy our hope. It's a good hope. It's a good hope. Hope. Remember in, when I was in college, I would sometimes go to walk in this uh, cemetery that was near us. Now, it's, it's a good thing for a college student to, to walk around a place like that and be reminded that life is short and death is certain and eternity is long. And it was very quiet. Uh, so I would sometimes walk there. And remember one time, as I was coming out, I saw this lady, maybe in her 40s or so, and I had that urge to maybe share something with her, resisted for a bit, but uh, eventually um, mustered some courage to go up to her, and, and I, 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 I told her, I asked what she was there for, and she was at the cemetery viewing the grave of, of a loved one. And I said to her, uh, I, you know, I, I, have, I have a hope, beyond the grave, and I, I would like to share it with you. And she, she, she listened as I, as I told her about Jesus Christ and, and, and his gospel and, and the hope that we have. I could tell she was paying attention, which doesn't happen uh, all the time when you were sharing the gospel. But then at the end, I realized why, why she had been paying attention. Because when I asked her name, she said her name was Elpida. 
And I asked what that means. And she, she, she happened to be a, a lady from Greece. She was a Greek lady. And she said to me, El Peter is, is a Greek word for hope. It's, it's in fact the word we have, we have here. So when she had hope, she, she pricked up and she, she wanted to, to hear and to listen. But we don't have to have our names be hope for us to be interested in hope. We have reason. We, we, have, we have need for a good, well-founded hope. All of us. There's, as we look ahead, what, what is it? What is it that, that's ahead for you? Is it, is it this hope in the gospel, in Jesus Christ? Well, Paul says, yes. God the Father has loved us. He's given us eternal comfort and good hope. Through grace, he adds, through grace. Grace, grace, undeserved, unearned. Not, not merited, not because you, you deserve it or anything in you, but all of these good gifts all of grace, free, free to you. It's, if you look in the verses before, they, we, we mentioned that election and God's choosing. Uh, remember that happened before, believer, even before you were born, before you're done good or, or bad to merit anything. That shows us the freeness of it. It's, 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 it's grace. The graciousness of God, that's, that's what we see. It's, it's the heart of God. When we speak about grace, it's, it's not a substance out there. It's, it's God's character. It's his graciousness. It's his lavish kindness to undeserving ones, to his enemies. We deserve the opposite of good hope and, and good comfort and, and his love. But by his grace, by his grace, he gives the best thing to the least deserving. And it's given at no cost to you at the greatest cost to the giver, the Lord Jesus died to purchase these blessings for us. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. This good hope, this eternal comfort is through grace. And so Paul can, can look at these things and this, this is the one to whom he's looking, the God of all grace. He alone can, can help and keep these believers. He began this good work Paul is looking to him to, to keep on because his, the riches of his grace are unending. We read of the unsearchable riches of his grace. But that's, that's speaking about what God has done in the past. And this then, Paul looking at that, this God this Lord Jesus, our Father, who has done this in the past out of his love and by his grace. Paul now, he's praying. that The point of his prayer is this. He's wanting something to happen presently. He's praying that this God who has done these things would do something in, the, in your heart, in the hearts of believers right now. He says, may he comfort your hearts. And so we're looking now at the, a good work in your heart in the present so he's done a good work in the past. Paul is asking that he would do a good work now in your heart. And what is this good work he prays that God would do? Verse 17, that he would comfort your hearts. That he would comfort your hearts. What, what we've seen of what all that, that is meant by that word, Paul is praying that God would do it in you, in these believers, in 
How, how, how I ask God that he would do that for you and me, even now, as we're here, that he would do this, that he would bring all that he, that he means in that word, comfort, and give inward strength as needed by his spirit, strength for the inner man. And notice he is asking God himself to do this. Yes, God uses means, like this letter to the Thessalonians, his this is meant to be a help and a comfort to them, but he's praying for that God would work in those means, that he himself would do this work. The God who made the heart and who searches the heart, who can come in and do this work. Paul's praying, let him, let him, let him do this. I want to turn you back to First Thessalonians to, just to see what a confident heart looks like. In chapter 3, in chapter 3, in verse 7 to 9, Paul had been concerned about the Thessalonians, in verse 6, and so he sends Timothy to check on them. And then Timothy brings a report. And he brings good news about their faith, verse 6, and their love, and, then, and, and how they're remembering Paul. And then in verse 7, Paul says, For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted. That's our word. We have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. So Paul receives this news and it comforts him. It, it's used as God's means to comfort the apostle himself. And here we see what, what it looks like when this, when this comfort, this consolation, this encouragement comes into the heart of a child of God in, in Paul himself. Several things you see there. When it comes, it's, it's, it's life-giving. Listen to how Paul says, he says, for now we live. He wasn't dead. But he's saying, when I receive this news, it's like new life, a fresh wind of life came into my lungs. And, and he says, now we live. Now we live. This is what comfort in the heart will do for you. It's, it's, it's fresh life by God's Spirit. He says, now we live. It makes you feel more alive. And there are times when you feel more alive than other times. And this is comfort coming in. Comforting your heart. But he also says, verse 9, that for all the joy that we feel, it brought joy to his heart. This, this is what it looks like when God comforts, even in the midst of, of affliction. Paul says that in verse 3, he, in, in verse 7, he is in distress and affliction, and yet God is able to comfort and to give joy in the midst of that. But it also causes thanksgiving to God. When this comes to us, it, it, it will yield thanks to God. Verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God? That's, this is a picture of, of, of what we're talking about here. May God do it in your heart and in mine, even tonight. But he prays for something else in this present work, this good work. He's praying a second thing. So comfort your hearts first, and then he prays that God would establish them. Establish, he says. 
And, and this means to, to, to strengthen you, to make you more firm, to make you steady, to cause you to remain unmoved from, from the good place that God has put you in. Going back to our text in Second Thessalonians, in verse 14, or verse 15, he exhorts them there. He, t- he tells them to stand firm and to hold to what he has taught them, to hold to the word of God, to stand firm. And here he's, he's praying that God would, would establish you, would, would hold, hold you and make you firm. John Stott comments on, on this. He says, it's like Paul, Paul seems to picture a gale, a gale of wind, in which they are in danger both of being swept off their feet and of being wrenched from their handhold. And in the face of this hurricane force of wind, he urges them to stand their ground, planting their feet firmly in the ground and to cling onto something solid and secure, clutching hold of it as for dear life. So he exhorts them in verse 15 to stand firm, to remain on the word, despite all the challenges, all the problems, all the persecution, all the false teaching, in spite of all of that, he, he's, he's saying, stand firm, hold, hold tight. And then here in our text, he's praying that God would do that, that God would establish you. You see, when, when Paul prays for for his people, for, for, con, for his converts, for his church. He, he sees both the work of God and, 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 and human, human activity. But, but God's work is primary. He, he can exhort them, but he, he knows ultimately that it's only God who can do this, this work, helping them to remain firm. And so he prays, he prays for that. Now, where is all of it headed? What, what does he tell them to remain firm in? Why, why is he asking them to remain firm? What, what are they to remain firm in? Our, our last point here, he tells them to be, be steadfast, to be established in every good work. He prays for their hearts so that they can be established in every good work and word, so that they can go on persevering, in good works and words. God has called you, believer, to be rich in good works, zealous for good works. He's done a good work in you. He's given you good hope. He's given you his good spirit. And this, this is, is meant to issue in a, in a good life, in, in, in good works. What is, what is a good work? Well, from this verses here, I believe we can say it's, it's, it's a work that's in accord with, with God and, and Christ, with his nature, with his will, with, with his glory, with his law. God is the one who does the good work, and so every, anything that can be called truly good, it's in accordance with the standard of good with our God. But it's also a work that's out of love, just like God's work in, in loving us. It's and giving us these things, it's out of love. So that's, that's the true motivation. Love for God and, and for man. 
And so we're to be rich in these good works for temporal and spiritual good, doing good to, especially to those of the household of faith, but to all as they are made in the image of God. Uh, even the work of seeking to bring others to enjoy this eternal comfort and good hope. Paul is praying that the God would comfort your hearts, establish them in these things, in good words as well. Every good work, every good word. In speaking them, perhaps it's in using words well, but also perhaps it's being established in, in the good words of God, remaining on them. All of these things. So do not be weary in, in, in well-doing. Let your light so shine before men. See your good deeds and give glory to, to your Father. Let's uh, close with some applications here. Just to ask you again, do, do, you have, do you have this hope? Do you have this hope? Are you one who is trusting in the Lord Jesus? What, 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 are, you, what are you hoping in? Are you trusting in Christ, the only good foundation, the only hope, in whom alone is eternal comfort and good hope? Everything else might comfort you for a little bit, might give you some good feelings for a little bit, it, it all perishes in the using. Nothing lasts but this eternal comfort, good hope, which Christ alone, he, he is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, who is the great comforter of the human heart. Why will you perish, refusing to love the truth and so be saved? Those are the words in verse 10 of this chapter it speaks about the wicked who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. To love the truth and so be saved, including this truth about where does true hope come from? Where is true comfort? Who is the Savior of sinners? Jesus Christ. No other safety from the wrath to come. No other solid ground. Jesus Christ. So come to him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you will know this hope and this comfort. But then believers, let's, let's keep going back to the love of God as Paul does here. Going back to think about what he has done for us. For the encouragement of our hearts. Going back to what he has done for us. I believe that's what Jude means. Part of what he means when he says keep yourselves in the love of God. It's like, 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 like a plant that you want to be in the sun, basking in the sun and being refreshed. I encourage, keep yourself in the love of God, meditating on truths like these. Think also, thirdly, on, on, on all that's been given to you. All that's been given to you. How often we're so sad and depressed and losing hope because we're forgetting what is, what is ours. Like the elder son in, in the parable, in, in Luke 15, the prodigal son parable, the elder son there says to his father, these many years I've served you, I never disobeyed your command, but you've not given me even a goat to celebrate with my friends. And then the father, what does he tell him? Son, everything I have is yours. 
And our Father wants us to know His gracious heart and all that He's given us so that we can rejoice and be encouraged. But also, isn't there the exhortation here to, to get on with every good work? Perhaps you've had some good intentions for some good works, but, but you, you, you're not acting on them like, like I do and like you do. Let's, 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 let's think of them. What, what is it? What have you been thinking of? What, what, what good work is it to encourage a brother, to write that card, to write a letter, to make a meal for that family that's struggling, to read that good book that you know will help you and your soul, to start that Bible study that you've been thinking to do, to, to get back to, to family worship that's fallen by the wayside? What is it? What's, what's the good work that God's calling you to get on with it and, and, and look to God to give you strength and help in it? But then also, as we, isn't, this is a prayer. Remember, this, this is a prayer. So then we're called as well to pray for one another. Pray. Pray for fellow church members. Pray, Lord, help my brother. Comfort them. Comfort their hearts. Strengthen them for every good work. And Lord, remind them of the riches of your grace. Pray for your leaders. Pray for one another. Pray for yourself. Pray for me. Beginning the next verse after this, Paul says that finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray, pray, pray these things. Oh, may God bless these words to us and let us pray in closing. Our Father, we come before you and uh, thank you for these words that we read off in your word, Lord. They are. They're precious truths. We pray that you, will, that you will do this good work, Lord, and that you will work in us even presently. Thank you for what you've done for us in, in the past and loving us in Jesus Christ and all the riches of your grace. We pray that even now you would do a good work in, in us, encouraging us. Lord, I pray for this church that you will strengthen every heart and that you will strengthen the hands that we would be encouraged to go on persevering, trusting in you, firmly in you, abounding in every good work and word, Lord, and that you would be glorified in all of these things. And we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.